Hey everybody, welcome back to The Hustle. It's John Lamoureux. Okay, this week's kind of a big one too. Our guest this week is guitarist and Cocteau Twin mastermind, Robin Guthrie. Now Robin, I don't think does a lot of interviews. So I'm pretty proud that this is even happening. You'll notice that I, he is a very gentle, sensitive soul, which makes sense because that's kind of what the music sounds like. He really pioneered that sort of shimmering, reverb-heavy guitar tone or sound that made the Cocteau Twins what they were. That mixed with Elizabeth Fraser's voice, I mean, it's ethereal. It's otherworldly. They haven't been together or a band for 25 or more years, but ever since then, he's been making gorgeous ambient solo music, some of it with the pianist Harold Budd. We talk about that in here. But um, if you like that sound, check it out. I don't know how many people have followed along with his solo work because it's fantastic. In fact, in just the last year, he has released three EPs, all of which are beautiful, and a full-length album called Pearl Diving. Uh, everything's on Spotify. Oh, in fact, in this conversation, he alludes to, on his Bandcamp page, he's been putting out a lot of songs that he calls Orphans. Just songs that he likes that he doesn't know what else to do with. So they go on his Bandcamp page. I love this guy's music. And uh, its he doesn't do a lot of interviews. He's a little nervous, but he's a sweetheart. And so, and you can probably imagine, he's, he doesn't want to talk about the Cocteau Twins over and over and over again. Um, they had a good thing. Elizabeth's his ex-wife. He'd rather move on. He's got a wonderful solo career to focus on. So I'd say this one is a little bit about half and half. You know, we talk about the new solo stuff, but then we also talk about those good old days and the twins. I mean, they really created shoegazing, dream pop. That stuff came from them, if you ask me. He's really a pioneer. We get into some of the stuff he produced, like with Ian McCulloch and Chapter House and Lush, and just, you know, those glory days of dreamy, uh, shoegazing, guitar reverby pop music. It's gorgeous stuff. This right here is Carolyn's Fingers off of probably my favorite Cocteau Twins album, Bluebell Knoll. Uh, anyway, there's a lot to uncover here. If you're a fan, hopefully you like it. If you aren't or don't know them very well, hope you, hopefully you hear some things that you're going to enjoy, especially the solo stuff. Get into it. There's lots of it, and it's beautiful. He called me from his home in France. Where are you, and what's I'm podcast in, all about? I'm in Denver, Colorado. So I wouldn't be able to breathe there at all. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. It takes an adjustment. Um, so, yeah, we've been living here for a while, 15, 16, 17 years, something like that. Our three kids, wife. I'm originally from Salt Lake City. and. Oh, I like Salt Lake. Okay, I'm gonna. I might ask you about that later because you guys were pretty big in Salt Lake City, as were a lot of yeah. kind of indie alternative bands. And uh, did, you, did you did you see us play there? No, I didn't. We and played, that's we played in that big venue just on the lakeside. It was like a really strange big salt air is what it's okay, called. Okay, that was the one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's yeah. great. I remember it. I okay. remember it because I, I spent the whole afternoon. I think I missed half the sound check because I was just out taking photos. <laughs> uh, it's it just such a cool place to, yeah, but I've been back since without playing, you know, because I like to do my road trips and yeah. you know, just inspired that way. But uh, yeah, uh, fun memories of there. Yeah, I might ask you more about that later because um, people always seem to have kind of fun stories in Salt Lake. 
first and foremost, okay, so let's, you've been, after a few years of being kind of quiet or working on other projects, I'm guessing, you've had, I guess, in the last year or so, this outrageous burst of creativity. And we I get curled up. Of, I, would have, I would call it a burst of creativity. Nothing outrageous about it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> well, it's outrageous that it, I mean, it's, it's an album, the full album, Pearl Diving, which is so beautiful. And then it's the three EPs, Springtime, mm-hmm. Mockingbird, uh, Mockingbird Love, and Riviera. And um, all four of these things are fantastic. Why was now, what happened that sparked this outrageous burst of creativity? Well, there's no easy answer to that. I mean, I do actually, I've been working every year, but I've been working on, you know, projects which are largely unheard sometimes or just been producing for other people or, you know, and, you know, when I get a chance, I write some songs and then, oh, I don't quite have enough for an album, I'll just leave them and then I move on. I did like a TV series and I've done, you know, movie stuff. And uh, obviously uh, working with Harold, who uh, left us uh, in a rather untimely fashion, uh, doing concerts and, you know, stuff like that. And, you know, I, I think I was perhaps... It's not that I was running out of steam, it's just that I was cutting lots and lots of connections with the music industry because I just felt really alienated by it. And uh, more and more sort of, this, this, I think it's meant to be a great joyous thing and yet there's so many sort of, uh, you know, people to keep happy and to, so many people wanting a slice of this. And, you know, in, in, in terms of business things, I was never really a big attraction for, you know, getting you know, a manager or something like that, because nobody would touch me because I don't make very much money. So it's like, you know, there's, all the, there's you know, I wouldn't be making somebody rich. So, you know, that and there's a lot more life going on. I spent a couple of years just getting my youngest daughter through, you know, high school and getting into university. And that's a really, really intensive time in a young person's life. So I wanted to take the heat off her so she could get through, get her baccalaureate, get into a decent university and things like that. And these things take time. There's a whole lot of life going on as well. Uh, when Harold passed, I was sort of, you know, in a really sort of strange position of having had that record, Another Flower, done since 2013. It didn't come out uh, effectively due to the dispute between Howard's uh, business side and Dara, the record label. Uh, and it just seemed to be 
hugely demotivating for me because I've always just been, I do a project to get it out, do the next project, get it out, and all of a sudden there's this one project hanging in the air. And that really just sort of crippled me a bit emotionally, you know. Yeah. And, this is, and this is like years, this is like for, for a few years, you know, 2015, 2016, I'm doing some other projects, but I still feel I'm a bit stuck here. And shortly before Harold passed, he, he we, we just came to a, a I think maybe because he's perhaps feeling a bit of his age as well. He's just thinking, Robin, you know, let's get this thing out. I'll just go whatever. You do what you want. And, you know, I'm, I'm good with it, even though I don't really want to work with these people. And it's just like, okay, so I'll be the medium and I'll just try to be the middle guy and we'll, and we'll get it out. And we got it out. And then, yeah, anyway. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, I'm glad it came out because I don't think I could have released it uh, uh without his blessing you know uh, after so so that was great but it sort of obviously made me think about my own mortality and my uh, age and I thought I'm just looking at the huge amount of music that I've (laughs) made over the years that's never been released uh, because of one thing or another because sometimes I just uh, doing it for me is just cathartic I need to be doing it I don't often always have, oh, I'm going to make an album, so I'll just do this music. It's just like, I'll go away to the beach in my camper van and I'll sit with my laptop and make some backing tracks and things, some karaoke things. Really? That's your process? Oh, yeah, I'll sit on a plane when I'm flying somewhere and, you know, just make up drum beats and, you know, so there's a lot of traveling involved and a lot of, you know, just notebooking, you know, everything, you know, making lots of ideas and then fleshing them out and then sometimes it's like a movie will come along and it's just like oh but yeah but we need the soundtrack but it needs it needs to be done in two weeks and i'm like okay because uh, <laughs> i've got like five or six things that i've started before that i might be able to like massage into place and yeah and, you know, that kind of thing so huh. uh so yeah always a glut always a sort of i mean my 2022 fold at the moment's already got about 17 or 18 things in it which are various different things which i will flesh out and finish but Every year I've had lots of these tracks. Yeah. So I don't know if, if you're aware of that. I put out some more music this year exclusively on Bandcamp uh, this year and last year. I've been putting out odd tracks every every couple of weeks. I've and been I trying to I, stay on top I, I, of all of it. and I, 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 lovingly, I lovingly try to call them my orphan tracks because they're songs <laughs> that I did just that never really found a home. Uh, they felt uh-huh. really good, but they, I wasn't... You know, if I'd done three like that, I could have made an EP, but I didn't. So, so these are just odd little things. So I've released five. Go on my bank camp and have a look at the. Description I will. Thing. I will. You see, you see them, and then we'll put a uh, link to your band camp on the description of the show, so anyone listening to the podcast can just tap on it. That's, and go that's straight the there. best place. To, that's the best place to go because my social media skills are a bit non-existent, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I just, you know, I respond to email. Uh, and this is, you know, this is from somebody that 40 years ago considered him to be a complete nerd, uh-huh. right? Because I was, so was. It's like, you know what? I was on the internet before you. I can say that. To, <laughs> I can say that to like most of the people on the planet, <laughs> and it's true. But I was so sort of loved all the, and it was kind of exclusive and yeah. nerdy. Before that's it, amazing. So wait, so did what's the thinking then behind having one full album in Pearl Diving and then having the three EPs? Do you see the the music on the EPs as be, you know being joined together or of a particular yeah, time? Absolutely. 
Okay. It's, it's, it's the source of the thing, and it's also the style of the thing, perhaps the tone, how it is tonally, how they flow together. I have always, since the very early days of me making music, been very uh, aware that you've got to get an album running in the right order. Got my got my, messed up with that in the 80s when we started to do CDs and vinyl at the same time. So, because it used to be, you know, Two sides versus two sides. You got to get the last track of the first side just right, so that you so that you want to turn it over for the first track of the second side. The art the art of it has changed. I don't do music for vinyl anymore. When I put my albums together, I put them together for you know a CD and for the yeah. flow to work like that. Uh, ditto the EPs, but intrinsically there's you know there's always a subject matter. And this is where it gets a bit strange because we don't say that oh, it's just instrumental, so it's just a name. It's, it's not. It's not. Uh-huh. It's really not. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. really work like that for me. It's about ah. trains of thought, and it's about you know uh, how things are linked together. On Pearl Diving, for example, there's an awful lot of links. I'll be them sort of, you know, very much tangential, and I wouldn't expect anyone to understand. But because I'm like just turned 60 years old, I was having a wee look at my family tree, which is quite interesting because I could trace it far, as far back as my mum and dad, and then after that, it was. Oh, yeah, really. No so I, yeah, there's. So I'd been putting uh, that record together at the same time I was doing that, and I was just finding there were certain tunes that were evocative of. I don't know. It sounds daft, and I don't really like doing it. But a lot of my family went, went to the US, you know. Uh, uh, so I've put. I've got like loads of cousins. Well, second cousins maybe, in the US, in in Australia, in. Canada and things, they kind of had, there's a lot of lives there that, you know, yeah. like, wow, I didn't think I was attached to any family. Because <laughs> you know, six weeks before I made Ghana's, my father passed away. And, uh, you know, I kind of didn't really know that until a couple of months ago because I kind of knew that he died when I was young, but I wasn't really quite sure when, when it was yeah. because I just basically ran away from home at that point with Liz because she was my girlfriend and we just didn't go home again. And now that I'm 60 and I see that written, these dates written down on paper, I'm like, yep, yeah, that's how that worked. Wow. 
you know, that was just quite profound, you know. So yes. you know, within within when I'm working on music and when I'm working on things in my life, there are things that cross over and uh, things that make complete sense. And yeah. you know, I don't know. Wow. It's you know, I can't. I, I, oh, I needn't to explain my music. I mean, if I'm if I need to explain it, then I'm doing it wrong. So, well, <laughs> you know, you, it's just where does it come from? Why why are these things titled that way? Yeah, uh, yeah. It's not. It's not uh, It's not. Uh, how do you say? It's not by chance. by chance. Yeah. No, it's not by chance. It's you know. It's, that's how you uh, feel. The words make sense to you. And this inspiration that's pulled from many, many places as well, from traveling, you know, from, you know, I mean, who cannot, uh, who cannot spend an hour, an hour obsessing over sort of somewhere you don't know on Google Maps and not come up with some <laughs> great, great idea. I want to go there, I want to see this, <laughs> I want to see that. You know, I've got True. a certain passion for life about, you know, discovering things and I'm totally into like, you know, history and sort of, you know, read like loads and loads of stuff. And yeah. I, the great thing for me is I use a Kindle. I've used a Kindle. Kindle's been my best and most used gadget. Really? More than more than the drum machine, I think. You know what I mean? Oh. And, and I like the, the little function on it that's that you can just highlight a word and a, either get meaning for it, which is uh-huh. quite useful. But the second one is you can just make notes. So you can like highlight a little block, block of text, make a note, and then you just get them out your Amazon. I love it. About, you know, because I like to have allusions to things that I've read without actually necessarily yeah. stealing the book title or something like that. But just you know, sometimes a writer can come up with a phrase and just really hits how I'm, it hits on yes. the spot exactly how I'm feeling. And I don't have that talent to put that into words in the same way they do, but I can put right. it into music. Right. for me. Right. So, okay, I have a million questions based on everything you just said, but one thing in particular, I was, I'm curious, Robin, because you're a pioneer of a sound, and you know this, of a, of that shimmery, sparkling, reverb, echo heavy, light, airy guitar sound. You're the man who popularized that and who inspired thousands of other bands to try and be as good as, as you are at making that sound. And so I'm wondering when I listen to, especially your solo stuff, because it's all instrumental, uh, or most of it is anyway, unless you're working with someone like Mark Gardner. I'm curious, is there at this point when you've been in the game for over 40 years, is it a particular tone in your guitar that you're looking for? Is it a particular kind of sound? Is it a particular kind of mood? What are you chasing when you're making? new music i'm not chasing anything when i make new music i'm making new music i just have realized that after all the time after all the other artists that i've known that i don't work in this in the same way you know i don't write songs yeah. and then record them yeah. i sort of switch my studio and then i use my studio to create something i mean i guess other people work like that but perhaps less so with the guitar uh, i understand music innately but i'm not an accomplished musician uh-huh. You know, uh-huh. this really helps because I, I, I resigned myself to that years ago when I actually considered getting guitar lessons, you know, in the in the 80s. And I was just like, nah, nah, <laughs> I can't go all of this up to now, you know, because right. it's just not really inadequate. And it's just like, yeah, but that is what brings my approach to the instrument different to, someone, to somebody else. Everyone's got their own thing. You notice when you were making that big sort of... Uh, 
announcement just now about how I've done this. And, you know, uh-huh. I just let you go just now. <laughs> I you would? I just let you go and sort of like do that because for years and years I'm just like, oh, stop, stop, stop. <laughs> and I was just like, it's actually quite nice to hear, but it has to be said, it's like when people, it is, a lot of it is just hanging around and still making music. Yeah. You know, that's really yeah. all it is. Just, yeah. You know, uh, and I never set out to influence anybody. That's impossible. That's absolutely well, impossible. Well, I'm sure you didn't set out to do that, but we know the whole shoegaze movement wouldn't have happened without Robin Guthrie's guitar. I think that as a young man, I definitely needed so much affirmation, especially because I had no older males in my life as well, because my dad had passed things. So as in, in order to make up for my lack of technical music skill, I moved into sort of an area where I could finesse it by using the sound and to use yeah. pedals. And in that, in that respect, there were people using guitar pedals 10 years before me you know, like John Martin or somebody like that with his echoes and stuff like that, that, you know, retrospectively, it's just like, well, there's was nothing particularly new about what I was doing when somebody like that were doing things like that, or the Beach Boys were doing that, or Phil Spector was producing like that. It had all been done before, Yeah. you know, so the time and the place. I mean, I got to work with Elizabeth, who, you know, has an extraordinary voice, but that took a bit of coaxing to come out with because on all the first recordings you couldn't really hear or anything, so... Uh. You know, it's just like, it's a time and a place, but it was also, there was some, uh, when we sort of got into it and we got into a groove, I would think it was really important that a record company for you, they let us just go and make head over heels, basically, and sort of trusted that, you know, I'm on this. was kind of because we did feel a bit like teenagers or children next to those people because they were from, yeah. they were from the city they were from yeah. the city and well kind of quite a bit posh and everything and you know uh and they were kind of grown-ups to us so like uh-huh. to be allowed and to be given the budget to to go to a studio for a couple of weeks and make that record that was, that was really really important you know yeah and you know that's a, that's a lucky thing as well because we didn't have anybody guiding us the way and saying, oh, you know, first few times in the studio, those engineers and things saying, oh, no, you can't do that. You know, you can't, it's distorted. I'm like, mm, yeah, yeah, and? Yeah. But I can't do that. But at a certain point, I was given a bit of freedom. Yeah. And that's when, that's when I sort of kicked in and went, you know, I didn't, you know, what's it about? 
did I use any different equipment to anybody else, different kind of guitar, different kind of strings? No, just use whatever was lying around. Yeah, yeah, and it. you made it work yeah. in your unique so, way. Well, no, just applied what I had to with what I had and, you know, kind of, yeah, things that had influenced, you know, the big sounds of the 60s and things like that were a big influence, obviously, but with, you know, whatever equipment we had, whatever equipment the studio had, and of course it was all done with tape, there was no computers, it was just like, you know, a bit of experimentation, a bit of... Uh, Oh, what happens if you do that? <laughs> and it's like, oh, that's pretty good. I'll do that yeah. again. You yeah. know, no, I just found this one knob on the mix of this one day pretty early on, and it was just like, oh, I want a bit more of that. <laughs> that's pretty cool. But, you know, I was a real kind of nerdy uh-huh. electronic geek, you know. Uh, I kind of understood how sure. streaming worked, and I was really interested. And the way that we used to learn, we didn't have YouTube tutorials. We used to have these big books like from, that were published uh-huh. in the 1950s on, you know, how to hope which way to move the microphone and, you know, what the different sort of things did. And we, uh, that's how we learned things, putting pre-YouTube days. Right. You know, and I think I feel quite kind of blessed that I got to learn all that old totally. school stuff. Yeah. While sort of like embracing the new stuff as yeah. well that was coming along, you know. And, yeah. You know, that's, that's a time and a place as well. Yeah. You talked about Harold, but losing him, obviously he died of COVID three weeks before my dad died of COVID. And my dad was 10 years younger than him, but I'm guessing in both situations, uh, we didn't see it coming. You know, what was, how, how, what was the magic of you two's relationship? I mean, it goes way back to the moon and melodies album, but it does. I think that I can sort of describe it like this. It's like, we'll just let each other be as artists. You know, I mean, I guess I could say in these positions that pretty much every time I worked with Harold, I was sort of the producer, because I'd be the one sitting recording everything and doing my bits. In in some cases, you know, Harold would work, you know, he did a few things in LA and sent them to me when I would sort of work on a few things like that. But basically, we were friends, and we saw, saw each other socially a lot when he was in London at the time of Moon and the Melodies. And uh, he was an older guy in my uh, life, which I didn't really have. And we, we were just sort of buddies. We went on to do, you know, we do a bit of an odd couple, but we'd do like road tripping together and just like hanging really? out together a lot. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, go to museums and fucking, you know, just uh-huh. drive across Spain and stuff, uh, just, just because we could. So we're, we're sort of friends, but we just, I didn't really follow his music career as such, and he didn't really follow mine. And it's just when we came together, we sort of had that understanding of each other. It's very minimalist, and I, <laughs> I call myself a maximalist because it's just like, he's like leaving so much space in the music, and I'm like, what the fuck am I going to do with all this space? I need to fill it up. But and quite often, you know, we would record something in a very linear fashion. So we'd record an idea in like in the key of A or something for like three or four minutes. And he would just do his little flourishes and his little parts. Then I would go and take that away and I would just erase everything that I'd done and I'd recreate something underneath that to give the the track some movement, you know, chord changes and things because Howard wasn't really big on like learning the arrangement or Uh (laughs) that kind of thing. So he liked to do his, all, all his most beautiful things are, just the simplest ones. Yeah. 
you know, yeah. and I thought, well, I want to kind of like embellish that somehow. I want to give him something more interesting to play on top of than just a fucking drone. Yeah. You yeah. Know, just, or one one loop just playing for like five minutes. It's it's kind of it's just like, but you know, I don't know. So he worked with a lot of other people. I don't really know what he did with them uh-huh. uh, too much. I just know the way that we worked together. So That's so great. kind of like coming together, and we would record quite a lot quite quickly i think for the two albums we made in san francisco called before and after I think there's like about 22 tracks or something which we recorded in four or five days, I think. However, I took these other recordings back here to my studio here and spent the next two months turning it into an album. Uh-huh. So, you know, there's, yeah. so there's that kind of, uh, the, you know, if you want to hear what Harold and us sound like live, then you need to listen to a live recording of us because we used okay. to do quite a lot of concerts together. And that was just like, he was so... He was like so confident and, and just sitting there and doing his piano and I've just got like a million effects pedals and loopers and I'm just tearing my hair out, just being absolutely terrified trying to make this work, you know. Because, uh-huh. you know, I don't naturally see myself as somebody who likes to go on stage at all. And, right. uh, and yeah, and how didn't like to rehearse or he would just say uh-huh. things like, well, uh, a flats augmented Robin, and I'm like, <laughs> no, you had you had me at A. <laughs> you know, so, oh, no, does that have black keys in it? Okay, I'll try to, do, you know. So, uh, how could sit in a room with uh, a, a, a notepad of music paper and write music without actually having to reference it with a piano wow. or a keyboard? Just off the top of his head. And I thought, well, I'm I'm never, you know, I've got qualities as well. That's the way I'd look at it. It's just like, that is so fucking brilliant. But I've got qualities as well, you know, because I can do things I do. So he does things he does and we bring it together. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's pretty cool. I mean, I like that that relationship. I like that we never tried to sort of, you know, make a career of it, as in, you know, make loads of records and then go out and play together as a yeah. sort of duo or anything like that. I like that we just sort of swung into each other's lives. Yeah. Did an album, then just went and did other things. And yeah. there's an occasional sort of thing. I love that. I love that too. Yeah, and I miss it. And I miss it. So. I bet you do. Um, going back to your guitar playing, I wanted to bring up something. 
your early band, The Liberators. I was listening to a song, My Part of Town, which I think was the first single you ever put out. punk song and i was thinking about assuming that's you playing the guitar on that you could cut loose if you wanted you just don't want to right i i'm curious if you ever get that urge of just recording an album that's almost noise you know of you just pounding away use all the effects you want but instead of the gorgeous tranquility of the most of the music you make something really harsh and, you know, fierce. Well, Do you ever get that urge? I think, I think I was about 15 or something when that was... Uh, oh, well. <laughs> thing, you know. Lots uh, changed, huh? <laughs> was this, that was a school band, right? You uh -huh. know, and it was my one older brother, and he sort of saw himself as uh, Brian Eckstein, so he wanted to, you know, so he chose all the songs and, you know, that kind of thing. But I didn't really know how to play. But there was just a bunch of us... And it was just yeah, school band thing, yeah. no aspirations for anything else other than that. So did we rock out? Yeah, in our, in our own way. I was playing some Stoogie songs and things. And, yeah. you know, it's like, but how difficult can that be? You know, do I need to do that in my life now? No, I cannot like go for the tranquil beauty stuff yeah. because yeah. that's a bit more. Uh, so if I was an angry 15-year-old, that was a long time ago. Get over it. <laughs> you know, I mean, if you're not angry when you're 15, then when, when you know. Yeah. So, you know, there are other people do rock properly and I just leave them to okay. do rock properly. Interesting. But what you may not be aware of is that I use some really kind of standard rock, like guitar tones, like really high gain amplifiers uh -huh. and stuff. And I record them really cranked out really loud and then I put them in the mix so quietly. <laughs> Uh, it's a sort of juxtaposition. Instead of them being like the in-your-face bits, they are sort of treatments in the background, under, floating under everything else. Yeah. And if you notice that, we have been doing that since Cocteau Twins time. That you know, is it's a, a massive. It's, it's, it's a trick, I don't know. It's, it's a little trait. It's something that I like sure. doing. But big sort of guitar lead solo things are perhaps not going to go there, you know. Yeah, yeah. That's so fascinating. Okay, I have, um, I have, we have some Patreon supporters, and I let them know who I'm interviewing, and if they want to submit questions, they can. And there's, we got some good ones this time that I wanted to mention to you. Number one, 
Tim Ward asks, is it true that Prince wanted to sign the Cocteau Twins to his label? I believe I believe Prince wanted to sign Cocteau Twins. It was Paisley Park time. Yeah. It was, I don't know, I, I didn't really know much about Prince. Uh, you know, I was there, I, I saw him. I, uh, I know there was uh, Wendy and Lisa were around and they made some really cool things. Prince, I was, yeah, he was this, this huge sort of ego band thing. So I kind of figured that being on his record label, I was always going to be second mm. uh, fiddle, really. Uh, that and, you know, uh, it's like, well, Prince wants to like produce us or whatever. It's just like, well, what's wrong with my friend? You, you like yeah. us because you like the way that I produce the records. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. so, yes, I mean, it's true. I mean, I went to see him, I went to meet him, and then kind of, I was in the same room as him with, with Liz, and we were looking at him, and he was like, he's really small, isn't he? He's really like, because Liz is tiny as well. Uh-huh. It's just like, but, but we kind of like missed our chance to sort of say hello and everything. So I don't know. Oh, interesting. I don't know. It's flattering though because it's like you know, it's a it's a, it's a well known, you know, uh, world famous person that, that that is effectively, you know, saying hey, these people you know like their music, and that's a, yeah. that's a great thing. You know, if that helps other people to listen to it, that's really really cool. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, the what label to be on or or whatever became such a head fuck, uh, you know, around the time of not being on 4AD, because I identified very much with being on 4AD until it became clear that, you know, 4AD's interests and our interests were not, not mutual, you yeah, know, uh, yeah. at all. And in a way, it sort of felt like we're never going to progress on this label, you know, because the yeah. label's always going to be bigger and, you know, that's that's that was what I was said from day one was that you never wanted a band to be more successful than the label. So oh, I didn't realize you know. that. Okay, well, but isn't that where Capital comes in and Heaven or Las Vegas? I mean. That's your biggest. So that was on 4AD. We were still signed to put. Were you? To You've got a perception from the US, so it's a different. You know, that was a licensee for, uh, for us, and then we signed directly to them later. But we'd also signed in in Europe and the rest of the world with Universal. It starts to get a real head fuck here. Yeah. We've got management. We've got like nobody knows what to fucking do. It's like I preferred everything when we were in our little bubble. You yeah. know, and yeah. uh, as soon as management came along, and then you know, everything big tours and big budgets, and all these sort of 
people from major record companies, people would come to my studio and sort of like tell me to fucking turn the snare drum up. And I'm like, <laughs> 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 yeah, like, I just stopped letting people in. I had security cameras so I could see who was coming. And yeah. I uh, had to, from a creative point of view, it's like, why do you want to sign a band <laughs> and then change them by? Making the snare drum louder. Yeah, true. <laughs> oh, you know what I mean. It's just yes, like, I do. Like, it was not a, you know, all, all we kind of needed at a certain point was to have taken a year out, and I think, you know, things could have been different, yeah. really. You know, but yeah. we were just exhausted. And, I bet you were. You know, there was, we were, the, our needs would seem to be so far down the list of everybody else's needs. Uh, yeah. Not just as artists, but as people as well. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's just like yeah. need some time to adjust to this new way of being and do some healing, and you know, yeah. need to just not be fucking being put into the studio to record fucking ten songs for B sides. Yeah, you know, oh, we need some extra songs on these EPs. It's, they're not even EPs; they're singles. We need some extra songs. Just and to me, that's just like for somebody really thinks it's a good idea for me to go into a studio and write a bad song and record it pretty shittily so that it's a B-side. Because that's what that says to me. It's like, fucking, yeah. you know, B-side is just the unimportant one, isn't it? You know, it's yeah. like, I can't work like that. Everything right. is really important to me. Right. I can't do unimportant things. I mean, I, I do it. unimportant things outside music all the time, but sure. I, sure. I aspire to every piece of music that I work on being yeah. really, really important to me. Because yeah. you know that's my life and my soul and my emotions that I'm putting out there, and that takes us around to another reason why maybe I didn't release any things until recently is that I felt perhaps emotionally I was way too close to my music. I think after I put the album Fortune out, I was kind of not going to say disappointed, but I was like I put my heart and soul into that, and yet that record just came and went and just didn't seem to really. I got to be honest, seem, that one. Until Pearl Diving might be my favorite Robin Guthrie solo album. are coming back to me now and saying that but i had no positive feedback loop you know at that time yeah you know perhaps there was not the same level of social media the same anything all i know was that it didn't sell very many and it sort of came and went in two weeks it took me a year to make it yeah and i found that hugely demotivating and like because yeah. that's you know makes me putting emotionally you know everything i've got into something putting it out to that rather in, to indifference so it yeah. seemed to me at the time I know that 
in the last few months I've learned that the people that love my music are <laughs> in no way indifferent to it. They yeah. fucking love it because I've had so much support and so much, you know, uh, I think maybe people, maybe some people have just managed to sort of see beyond Cocteau Twins and things. I know that everyone that's a, everyone that's a Cocteau Twins fan is a huge Cocteau Twins fan. Yeah. We, we kind of have created that sort of love that people can identify with because we were around for a long time and we made things that were perhaps important to people when they were younger. Oh, I remember those great days at college, you know, blah, 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 like that. And I've kind of felt, you know, maybe a little crushed by that over the years because, you know, I can't switch on my computer without some, you know, cat handy sort of like comment about something which, you know, uh, <laughs> doesn't, something, something which is, you know, is the established narrative. Yeah. Some, some yeah. Something that I'll just be super sensitive about and uh, it doesn't go away, I'm sure that you don't get haunted by what you did 40 years ago no. on a daily basis. You no. know what I mean? Yeah. I, I yeah. can't say haunted because part of me is I'm a huge part of me is really proud of it as well. But at the same time, the price one has to pay yeah. is, you know, putting up with a very twisted vision of what, uh, you know, my reality was. Christ, yeah. if they ever made a movie about, you know, my life, how far away would that movie be from what actually happened? Uh-huh. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, you're based yeah. upon the information that's out there and the uh, things. It's, I don't know. It's just a, it's a pipe dream of mine to actually, you know, have something, you know, written somewhere where it's like, oh yeah, this is what happened. That didn't happen. That didn't happen. He <laughs> didn't do that. I did this, and no, she didn't do that. And you know, she did this, and you know, but it's it's never going to happen because you know too much time has passed and people have their own their own subjective reality and you know it's yeah. you know that's that, that moment's gone that ship has sailed yeah do you mind if i ask you a couple of cocktail twins related questions uh depends if you if you can put up with the answers or not okay well so well first of all uh, to, to me you've not done much except Cocteau Twins related things <laughs> i have really i feel like i haven't got, i've been trying to avoid that ahead. topic um, I've been just trying to keep talking so you didn't ask another one. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, obviously, that's what a lot of people are want to ask about. But I, uh, I've been really interested have, in getting to know you your some more questions from from for your, your Patreon people. You had the cocktail twins. Yeah, they're well. So, one in particular. Um, so Brian Weingarten, and you've sort of touched on this already, but he just says, "How on earth did you come up with that amazing guitar sound? That lush." uh reverb echo he says he feels like it's somewhere in between daniel ash and john mcgeek i don't know if you've ever heard those before but well who was your influence that's the guy from my house and the guy from the banshees i'm aware of that but no i mean that would like involve i think at the roundabout time of garlands or whatever of course those bands were around doing things but you know wasn't quite where we were at. I would think we were a much more kind of noisy sort of spiky sort of phase. You know, your your birthday parties and things, your own Howard yeah. type of guitar thing. Yeah. But I wanted it to have, uh, I don't know, a beauty to it as well. So the pointedness of the Gang of Four, but with beauty as well, sort of yeah. thing. So whereas the 
the guys that you just mentioned, you know, just they're working in their own field. I mean, what is it to do at that time in your life? John McGill, uh, he used like loads of flangers and effects and things. Okay, so did I. But I mean, he's older, he was doing it first, fair enough. But, you know, was that what I was trying to be? Absolutely not. And Daniel Ash, you know, Firehouse were quite dark and they, you know, it's like I couldn't really, I had tr- a lot of trouble yeah. relating to some of that imagery and things like that. Yeah. Not everyone's unique, and especially when you're young, you kind of, no one wants to be sort of, post, you know, as a young man, I wanted to be, you know, this is what we do. <laughs> you know, yeah. and it's kind of fun because I can say that now, and I'm actually still thinking, no, that's what Liz and I wanted to do because we were a couple. Yeah. We've been a couple since we were very young. So we, when I say me, I'm talking about us at that point, and I'm sure if we talked about us, we're talking about the two of us, you know, because we kind of like the same kind of music and we moved in the same circles and things like that. And we were very much a, you know, kind of young couple, maybe a bit damaged from our sort of upbringing and things that I mentioned earlier about, you know, my dad, you know, his life at that point. So we were, you know, we were good together. there. So yeah, to, to I never ever ever have found it easy to say, oh yeah, that that player was very influential for me. Uh, there's been players that I've really liked, you yeah. know, over the years that don't play music anything like what I do. There's been a lot of music that I love, that and it's like I, I, I you know, it's like I don't I don't hear Patsy Klein when I make a record, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Right. I don't hear Joe Malolo when I program the drums. Yeah. But certainly, you know, that kind of thing, it's like, I don't know how that works. So yeah. I think it's a bit, it's like if you have, if you sort of compare people to other bands that were around at that time, it's just like, well, I don't know. Yeah. Not, you know, it's, it's I don't yeah. know. Okay. You know, um, if it was easier for me to just say, oh, yeah, I just wanted to be like those guys, I would say that, but it's really not. Because, well, it, it's yeah. interesting. Your your answer is actually more interesting, I think, because as we, as we have established, you have a sound in your head and heart that you pursue, and it's not about who's influencing you. It's not about somebody else. It's what's what you want to accomplish. And um, so it doesn't surprise me that these people – May have been in out there, but not necessarily influencing your way of guitar. No one does what you do exactly, Robin. You know, Nobody. People that, making, people, that, people that were making started to make sounds like that. You know, between the you know late seventies to to mid eighties, there was a huge amount of new technology came around then. So it's no, so I'm not the only person that bought a guitar pedal. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. There was a lot, there was a lot of things. There's just like it's getting your particular way of putting the pedals together, what you want to express as as an artist, you know, yeah. because the type of songs or if you're working with a singer, because the energy that you have, you know, uh, both of these bands had a live drummer and therefore kicked up a really sort of huge noise when they played it. It was kind of based in rock. I don't have a drummer. It wasn't based in rock. You yeah. know, it was just like rock was a bit of a dirty word for, for, for us back right. then. Right, right. Uh, okay. You know, so you know, so you know, getting a getting a drum machine, putting it through a distortion or something, putting it through a guitar amp, you know, was really quite far away from the traditional yeah. way of doing things. You yeah. know, makes sense. Uh, but add, that I... was that was just 
that was like really just desperation though as well. It's just like me must it's like got this drum machine now how do you make it louder you know you figured it out um yeah. i meant to add, uh tim who asked the prince question earlier brought something else up that i wanted to ask you about too um did you see a little mailbox money i guess prince sampled 55 clown for a martika song 50 it's the intro for 50 50 clown uh 50, which, is okay. which is like that's me Uh-huh. Like eight loop or whatever. No, I didn't ever see a penny for it. <laughs> really? Oh, come mm-hmm. on. Yeah. Oh man. Okay. I was curious about that. Um could, all right. I could I could realize a whole lot of songs that you know me for that I've never received a penny for. That's probably true. Spe- okay, speaking of which, I did want to when Cocktail Twins ends and the marriage ends, and I'm imagining that being a really kind of tough period, you go head into uh production work. I'm sure you were already doing that. We've talked about what you did and what you didn't do and what's been done to you and everything before. But the Ian McCulloch album, Mysterio, I love that album. You did produce that album, correct? I think I produced something on it. I don't think I Oh, just one. Okay, not the whole thing. Not after the end of uh, Cultural Twins. That was still during, you That's know, true. Uh, 
Early 90s. Yeah, you're right. When that was going on because there was lots of hanging out in the studio taking loads of drugs, basically, which is uh-huh. probably how that relationship uh, you know, came together. That makes sense. Yeah, but I mean, it was a moment, you know, and it yeah. kind of helped me along the way to getting, yeah. <laughs> needing to get help. So. Sure, sure. Good. What about <laughs> you know? Chapter House? They have an album called yeah. Whirlpool that I love. It's one of my favorites. Didn't you have something to do on that album? I, I did, indeed. I mixed a song uh, on that album, or maybe, maybe one or two. Talk about a band that had to have been heavily influenced by you. Chapter House would have been it. The, that shivery shoegazing sound. Those guys were, well, now they, what everybody's comfortable with the term shoegaze now, you uh-huh. know, because you had your, your Valentine's, your Ride, your Lush, Chapter House. These are guys that were all a bit younger, just a few years younger than us. So it was like the next sort of wave, the next sort of generation of people you know, coming. I remember quite a lot of those guys coming to Cocktoast concerts and being the guys standing at the front looking at all the pedals and stuff. You know, so I was aware that it's not really because you've done it first, it's just because you're older, you're further yeah. down the you're yeah. further down the way. And, you know, it's it just happens, you know, uh, when I produce some of these people, it's, it's just actually got even further because I was just doing what I kind of knew how to do, you know, yeah. uh, I guess, you know. Yeah. Okay. But I mean, working with uh, producing Lush or something, uh, yeah. that was great because those girls were, you know, fantastic songwriters. You had this. I had this opportunity to sort of like work with their sound, which was kind of I don't know. They, they've been they've been people that came to Cocteau's shows and things, but also with two great songwriters and singers singing together, kind of Simon Garfunkel, two yeah. ex these groups that have got great two singers together, yeah. or even uh, 
even the Mojave 3 or something like yeah. that. Get, I'll just go back to Simon Garfunkel. It's the easiest way to do it. Singing <laughs> in harmonies. And you've got that with Lush in spades, but you've also got this kind of sound. In the Lush is stuff. great. I love and Lush. I just tried to produce a Lush. Like, when I used to go and see them, they were, with at first, they were pretty shambolic. But I used to sort of just imagine, it's like, okay, I want to make the record sound as good as what this energy is that's coming off the stage. That makes sense. You know, uh, yeah. I, sometimes I try, still try to do that. I was just working recently with a Peruvian band Resplendor, and they're just a big shoegaze, new gaze, whatever you call them. Yeah. But when I was mixing, I'm just thinking, I just want to mix this as if I'm in the room when they're playing, because I've seen them play before, and it's just like this enormous noise. Yeah. Word, yeah. And I just wanted to make it like that, and that's, you know, okay. why not? Um, okay, here's my I'm, here's my Cocteau Twins question. It's not a personal one or anything. So my very favorite Cocteau Twins song is Bluebeard. Um, I don't know what a Bluebeard is. I don't know why it's called that. Maybe you can tell me. But um, I was looking at a clip of you guys performing that song on Jay Leno here in the States. Mm-hmm. And he mentions that it's your first U.S. television performance. And mm-hmm. in that performance, Liz feels as if she's almost kind of extemporaneous or uh, what's the word I'm trying to think of? It, the words are improvising. That's the word I'm trying to think of. Improvising new lyrics or different lyrics or whatever. As I mentioned, I'd never, I've never seen the Cocteau Twins or you live. Was that common for her to sort of reinterpret songs no. lyrically? At this point, Liz and I were no longer a couple. Uh, we still share a daughter, obviously, but we were no longer a couple. We were still working together. She was under the influence of perhaps uh, her boyfriend at that time, who was uh, Jeff Buckley for a while. Really? Yeah, so Jeff was like oh. very into the improvisational stuff. Yes. And we did a whole tour. This is for the album Full Calendar Cafe. And I have to say that we fell out quite often. Liz and I fell out quite often because... I just had a sense that, you know, people were disappointed at the shows because she wasn't singing the songs. She was uh, doing her, her thing, which was yeah. really not where we came from. It was like, you know, how she wanted to sort of try yeah. this. It was, the band was very tight, but it was a bit rigid. Uh-huh. So for so we can really improvise anything, you know, because we were working with, you know, uh, 
sequencers and things like that. So we had, and we were out there just to perform our best songs for people that had, you know, bought an expensive ticket to come and see us. And she didn't do it. She didn't uh, do it. And well, as I say, people uh, have been quite cruel about that over the years. Personally, I didn't know what she did, uh, which is something that's, you know, always been a bit difficult to say. But, you know, I can live with that now. I, I think that, you know, perhaps when the next tour that we did after that, she sung the best she's ever sung. Really? Uh, sadly, it was the last tour that we'd ever done. Yeah. So she saw that she wanted to express herself different, and maybe she didn't want me to be this sort of guy in charge of the band saying, oh, you have to do this because we've broken up as a couple. Right. Who wants to be Who wants to be having yeah. the, you know, the MD as, as kind of, you know, yeah. so maybe there's a bit of rebellion in there as well. Uh, that was also interesting the day that Kurt Cobain died. How about that? That was the day? It was, yeah. Wow. I remember yeah. where I was. I was on a road trip. Yeah, oh my gosh! I was, I was on Jay Leno. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, you were. Yes, you were. Okay. Another question. Alan Rankin produced so, your. So, what's so that? I was going to say so if that stands up was a bit too full on, but no, that's what was happening. That's that's this is exactly that is so far. I'm a huge Jeff Buckley fan. I had no. I don't think I knew that those two dated. But it makes sense. Oh my gosh, were they? If this is too personal, were they together when he died? I mean, was were they still dating? I'm not 100 percent certain, but I think they they'd already moved a different. Oh, okay. Okay. Wow. Uh, a few months ago, it was look. I was going to interview Alan Rankin, and the poor guy. I think he's got a lot of challenges. It never worked out. It's probably for the best. I think he's struggling in a lot of ways. But in getting ready to talk to him, which didn't end up happening, I listened a lot to Peppermint Pig. And um, his, you listen to that EP and it sounds like an Alan Rankin production. You mentioned it earlier. I'm curious what your thoughts were. Were you big Associates fans and that's why you wanted him to come on or what? The Associates came from a town just near where we came from, you know, about 10 miles away that we knew well. And we sort of, I don't know, I, I guess we liked the Associates, you know, and liked elements of the Associates. I mean, Billy's voice. It was just, it was all, it was just something that happened at the time. It was perceived uh, perhaps by Ivo at 4AD that we should work with a producer, because this is after, you know, not working with a producer. 
I don't really know if we chose Alan, but I was really, when he was suggested, I was really open-minded to it. The only problem was we didn't have any songs. And we got to get in the studio, like, really quickly, you know, in, in the next couple of weeks. And I think that the songs that we wrote were completely substandard, really. Uh, they're pretty fucking poor. Uh, it was just a sign of, I don't want to be doing this in the future, you know, if we have to, like, make songs that, you know, quickly like that, you know, because we just used all of our songs on making gardens and, and lullabies. We didn't have any, any, any more songs. Yeah. Perhaps the same associates because we used the same drum machine that they used. Ah. Uh, my first attempt to be able to sort of use one because they cost about $7,000 or something. They were okay. stupid and expensive, so we could obviously didn't have one. Yeah. You know, so maybe yeah. it was that drum sound. You know, it's, it's some of those things that we did in the 80s that you can you can accurately sort of date them as being 80s things because of the technology involved. Yeah. Uh, okay. You know, certainly some of the tracks on Treasure, you can hear very, very contemporary technology that yeah. sort of, you know, that, that dates them. It's much more difficult to date, date something like Bluebell Roll or Heaven, Heaven Las Vegas or yeah. anything like that. They're a lot more difficult yeah. to pinpoint, you know, and that's good. You know, and now I just go back and I, I use some of the old 80s sounds and I just mix them up with sure. brand new things. Cause it's, it's like a palette for me. It's like a... You know, it's like I can I can do that. I can uh-huh. use the same drum machine I used on Garland's, <laughs> you know, on on pedal diving on one song. It was just yeah. Like, why not? Why not? Yeah. You know, okay. That's fine. Nearly the last question. One of the Patreon supporters did ask if there was any possibility of a reunion after what happened in 2005 when it was going to happen and it didn't. It's it's not a bad question, but I, I just don't know. I mean, you know. I don't really know if I want that. Yeah. You know, there was a certain point I did. I thought, oh, that could be great. I mean, you know, the, the getting offered millions of dollars part was, was particularly nice. Yeah. Because uh, it, it would have come in handy at that point. But it's like emotionally or whatever, it's like, well, uh, I don't really know if I want to put myself through that. It's, and it's also, it's just, it's getting nostalgia. It's definitely just going out there to make money now. Yeah. It's not like not like the proposition is making a new record together you know that that would be that would that would be a different proposition but just to go out and do loads of concerts and you know so i don't see that happening uh okay i didn't either but i mean you know you know things have a moment you know yeah we're we're sort of we're getting to be you know old people now we do different things it's like in what way could that be a positive uh yeah experience for any any of us you know i think that's what gets lost i mean people love the band obviously and there's a lot of nostalgia and endearment there but and people want reunions to happen no matter what is happening no matter what the truth is or the history is behind the scenes but it would just be you and liz and simon and everybody are in different places doing your own thing now happily and it's better for everyone probably that that continues you know why put yourself through that? <laughs> so you just answered the question for that's, me, then. Right? Yeah, know? that's what you know, I. That's why I mentioned it. Yeah. Okay. You know, but it's, it's it's got silly in recent years. The amount of money that we've been offered. But oh like, goodness! Well, that's it, tempting. You know, and it's like, well, you know what? I mean, I've built my life, you know, uh, elsewhere. Mm-hmm. You know, and I could say to myself, yeah, I'm very, very pleased about the legacy of Cocteau Twins, you know, but, 
you know, what's what is that? What's the biggest thing that's achieved for me in my life is that it allowed me to meet my wife. <laughs> you know, there you go. You know, and it allowed me to move to meet my life and go and uh, meet my wife and go and create a life in another country. Yeah. You know, with my family. You know, yeah. I could say, well, despite everything, this is what I got out of that. Yeah. You know, yeah. what what was what I was leaving behind was a lot of torment and a lot of bitterness and a lot of huge amount of anxiety and worry and stress and you know finding out really who your friends really are an awful lot of you know uh betrayal and sort of you know the story it would make a good movie actually but so much backstabbing and you know the people that you invited into your life and trusted you know they had a different agenda yeah. You know, so it's a moment, you know, yeah. and it's it's really all about fair weather friends because trust me, when you stop being in a group like that, suddenly your your phone, your phone stops and you know you don't. It's like people just dissipate and yeah. there's big life lessons to be learned in that. And okay. a lot of the growing up that Elizabeth and I did not do between the ages of you know fifteen and thirty, like what most people would do. Yeah. We both had to sort of get and start to do that when we were like 30, you know, to become independent and, you know, more balanced and happy with our own lives and things because we kind of really didn't have to. We were kept in a sort of almost childlike, adolescent state yeah. all the way through our 20s because people around us used to just blow smoke up our ass and do everything for us. So when I buy a house, okay, just sign here. What colour do you want the wallpaper? You know, it's like, it's like, it's like, you know, it's responsibilities and things. We just didn't really yeah. have to do any of them, you know. And yeah. that's because we were, you know, to to a, to a certain degree, kind of quite successful from when we from when from the moment we started. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's like asking asking to go back to that headspace. Yeah. Nah. Right. It makes sense. I don't blame you. I don't blame you a bit. Um, okay. When can we expect more Robin Guthrie music? I get the feeling you just mentioned how full your 2022 folder already is. I get the yeah. impression you're working on music all the time. It's just a matter of when you want to package it, put it together and put it out. No, it's just an impression. I've got, I work on music, oh. you know, between other projects. Okay. You know, but it's certainly not all the time, but it's a lot of time has passed since I've, since I put Fortune out, yeah. <laughs> I've not put any other instrumental records out, so time has passed where I've been doing things. But if, if you, as I mentioned before, on, on Bandcamp, I've been releasing okay. what I, you know, kind of rather cutely has been, I've been called Orphans, you know, so uh -huh. I've just released one every couple of weeks recently. Love it. Uh, okay. And some of those are just really spot on tunes. They're really, yeah. it's not like, you know, things that are not quality, they're uh -huh. really cute and nice. And I would, Highly encourage you to go and you okay. know, partake in them. Uh, and I just put in the little notes, where, and obviously this one's from 2014, or this one is when I was, uh, something I didn't use when I was doing a movie soundtrack, or, uh -huh. you know, I put in the history of where I was and why I did it, and perhaps why it didn't come out. You know, things need to belong yeah. to a project, you know? Yeah, uh, so I'll, I'll put another one out in a couple of weeks, probably. Uh, but okay. I've been and plan to put out an EP in May, which is oh, already recorded. So more is coming. Okay, uh, great. I haven't done the artwork yet, so. Okay. You do all the artwork. You find it, decide it. Wow. Yeah. You're yeah. the best, Robin. I uh, I love you a lot. <laughs> I mean, you 
get the, I'm sure you get this a lot. The sound, the music that's in your head that you have managed to put out there for 40 whatever years has changed people's lives. And well, I'm one of those people. It's a big responsibility to sort of actually accept what you're saying. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's. Because, uh, <clears throat> you know, I don't want to feel responsible for that. Uh, but I'll, I'll take the compliment, you know. Well, you're an artist, so, and your artistry has mattered. I don't know if they emotionally process what you just said to me, but, you know, I probably need to get professional help on that. Well, <laughs> you're a legend, you know, and uh, a lot uh, of people love it. Yeah, yeah but that's, that's, that's a, you make it sound like a really big responsibility, but I'm just really... No, no. Just your only responsibility is to keep being you, because whatever yeah. you've been doing on your own has affected all of us positively that's your only responsibility is to just be robin okay. guthrie okay i'll try to live with, i'll try to live with that <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay yes. well thank you robin for talking with me it was a huge honor i love you a lot all right there you have it robin guthrie uh sweet guy gentleman sensitive soul i love him a lot uh, i want to close it out with another song off of one of those eps this is off the springtime ep which again came out last year this one's called Another Part of Nowhere. And again, if you like this kind of, it's just so beautiful. It puts you in the right play, right frame of mind, a good mood. It's pleasant. Uh, it's easy on the ears. It's also artful and deep and emotional. That's what he's great at. And there's tons of it out there. So good. And I put the link to the band camp, to his band camp page in the description of the show. So if you want to go on there and find these orphans and find the other stuff that he's putting together, it's right there. Go check it out. Pearl Diving is the album. That's the most recent one. Was, he put out one in 2022. I mean, there's tons out there, but check it out. It's beautiful. Uh, now, next week, <laughs> we're uh, so here's the deal. We've been focusing on a lot of like new wavy bands or British alternative bands or just alternative in general. Uh, we don't, there's nothing in the can for the next, for the foreseeable future quite like that. We're going rock. We're going bands that had, a, maybe their peak was in the seventies. In fact, totally different than the Cocteau twins. Next week's guest is the front man of a band who are actually primarily known for appearing in a very popular movie in the early eighties and their association with the star of that movie. They made their own music, obviously, as well. But if you know them, you probably know them because you've seen them in this movie. So there's some fun stories about that and Hollywood and movie stars and that kind of stuff. That's what's coming up next week. Huge thanks, as always, to Yan the Man Makevich, my right-hand man for everything. Thank you, buddy. Um, you guys, you can like our page on Facebook. You can send us a message on there. You can send us an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Twitter at thehustlepod. This weekend, we're going to be recording our recap episode. It's either going to be me and Yan or me and Andy Shaw, because Yan, uh, I guess his voice is shot. I don't know why. Sorry, Yan. So anyway, Andy may be filling in for him. So that may be coming out this weekend. We'll see. All right. Thanks, everybody. We love you.